Good morning, everybody. Man, it is good to have you all here this morning to worship with us, whether you're joining us online or you're in person. We are simply honored that you've chosen to worship with us today. It really is our desire that this be a time where Jesus is glorified and where you're encouraged in your walk with God today. So that's been our prayer and our hope as we have prepared for this morning. My name is Dan Baker. I'm the family pastor here at Great Oaks Community Church. And as Pastor Nate said, we are in the middle of a study on the book of Nehemiah called, called Rebuild. So the first week was, was rebuilding through prayer. Second week was rebuilding through uh, trust. The third week was rebuilding through generosity. And today we're going to look at rebuilding through service. The rebuilding through service. As I started thinking about it, as we're working our way through this book, I don't know that everyone is 100% sure about where the story of Nehemiah fits in in the Old Testament history. And so I thought, I'm going to take about a minute, maybe two minutes, and just do a very quick flyover for those of us who are like, okay, we're talking about Nehemiah, but where exactly does that fit? Uh, so this is, this is where it fits. After the flood... All right, so like many years after the flood, God comes to a man called, called Abraham, and he tells Abraham, Abraham, I'm going, to, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Several years later, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of those sons' name was Joseph. Joseph and all of his brothers and his dad through a series of divine events, they ended up going to Egypt. The Pharaoh didn't like Joseph's family. They grew very, very large. So the Pharaoh turned them into slaves. For 400 years, they were slaves. God sent a man named Moses to deliver them from the hands of Pharaoh. Moses took them from Egypt to the wilderness. Then a, a man named, uh, uh, I'm Joseph, no, not Joseph, uh, Joshua, thank Joshua ended up taking them from wilderness to the promised land. After they got to the promised land, they went into a time of being ruled by judges. After the judges, they went to kings. During the, kind, during the time of kings, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom of Israel. There was a southern kingdom of Judah. God kept coming to them because they kept rebelling and rebelling and rebelling. God kept telling them, repent, come to me. See all that I have for you to experience. Stop worshiping the gods around you and start following me. Well, the northern tribes had a very hard time with, them, with this. God sent a country called, called Assyria in to basically destroy the northern tribes. The southern tribes, they kind of went back and forth. They repented. They walked with God for a while. They walked away. They walked with God. They walked away. This went on for a while, but God had a plan that would not be stopped. So he sent a nation called Babylon to really get their attention. So King Nebuchadnezzar with the nation of Babylon, they went in and they captured the Jews. They're, they're in Judah. Took them back to Babylon. For 70, near, all right, so for 70 years now, these Jews have been in Babylon. After 70 years, God raised up another empire called Persia. Persia went and took over Babylon. When the king of Persia came in, he told the Jews in Babylon, you can go home. Go home. 
Go back to restart your nation. Go worship your God. Be free. So the Jews went back to Judah in three different waves. One of those waves was led by Nehemiah. God put it on Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the walls. That leads us now to Nehemiah chapter 6. All right? Very quick flyover to where we got today. Nehemiah chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. So I ask that you open up your Bibles there to Nehemiah 6. Before we get into it, I want to ask you a question. So have you ever felt like you are trying to accomplish something big, something important? Maybe it's a physical achievement of some kind. Maybe it's a project of work that's very important. Maybe it's restoring a relationship. And the whole time, you just keep hitting some barriers. You you just keep hitting some hurdles. It's like one after another. It's like you just can't quite get it into gear. Because you keep hitting these barriers all the time. You keep hitting these hurdles you have to climb over. I think that's how Nehemiah probably felt. God used Nehemiah to do this miracle, right? They rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days. All right, so only God can make that possible. But wow, as we read these chapters in Nehemiah, he kept having these hurdles, these obstacles that Satan kept putting in front of him. What I want us to do today is to look at these hurdles that that Satan kept putting in front of Nehemiah. Because friends, I sincerely believe that if you are a Christ follower, so by that I mean that you understand Jesus is God's perfect son who came to earth, died on the cross, came back to life again, conquering sin, so that, so that you and I can have our sins forgiven. And we can have a personal relationship with God, our creator, possible through Jesus Christ. And you've committed your life to living for his glory. That's what I mean when I say Christ follower. Okay. So I believe that as Christ followers, God puts a desire in our heart to serve him, to be a part of his work, to live for more than just this world that we're in. To help build his kingdom in some capacity, some way. But friends, the reality of it is, along the way, we hit some hurdles. We hit some barriers. And man, they can be hard to get over. They can be difficult. So my hope this morning is that as we go through these three barriers in the life of Nehemiah in chapters 6 and 7, we're going to see how God empowered Nehemiah to get over those hurdles. Because those hurdles are the same for you and us today. Thousands of years later, as we seek to be God's servants, to build his kingdom, I I can guarantee you we will encounter we will encounter these same hurdles. Let's see how God wants us to get over them. Let's start chapter 6, verse 1. The first hurdle we're going to find in the first nine verses. The first nine verses of Nehemiah chapter 6. Follow along as I read, please. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, 
Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should we work? Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambalot sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, According to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So, so come, let's, let us confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Very interesting. What's going on here is that there are some men that are rulers in the regions around Judah where the Jews have gone back to, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem. These men like their power. They liked their control. They were threatened by Nehemiah and the Jews going back to Judah. They didn't want them there. In chapter 4, we see they tried attacking him in different ways. Again, Sambalot, he's not giving up. He's doing it again now in chapter 6. And this is his method this time. You see what he does? He sends this letter to Nehemiah and says, Nehemiah, so there's this rumor going around, and, and from what I hear, it's true. You want to be king. And the purpose of you being king is to cause this revolt so that you can begin to control this area. You see Nehemiah's response? There, there in verse 8, he says, I sent, them, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Don't you love that reply? I mean, that's fantastic. There's Nehemiah. He says, liar. These are lies. You are making up lies. That's essentially what he's telling Sambalai here. These are all lies. Friends, the first hurdle that Nehemiah faces in this chapter that we're reading is Satan comes to him with lies. He wants to destroy what God wants to do through Nehemiah with lies. As God puts it on your heart, as you serve him in whatever capacity, he's asking you to serve him, whatever it may be. Expect the lies. Satan will come to you. Sometimes he whispers lies. Sometimes he shouts lies. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies. 
that at his core is who he is, a deceiver and a liar. Two weeks ago, my wife and I read a book about George Mueller. I don't know if any of you are familiar with, with his story or not, but it really is a very interesting story. If you want to be encouraged in your walk with Jesus sometime, pick up his biography. It's a, it's a very simple read. And George Mueller was a missionary from Prussia to Bristol, England. He was in his mid-20s. He was pastoring a small but a growing church there in Bristol. And during that time, God put it on George Mueller's heart to do something very out of the ordinary. It was a big job. So George and his wife call a special meeting on a Wednesday night. They call their congregation together, and he tells them in this meeting, God has put it on my heart to do something. So I want to tell you as the church body that I'm a part of what this is. He goes on to tell them, God has called me to start an orphanage here in Bristol. At the time he said that, according to the book, you could just hear the sigh in this room of this disbelief and just like almost a ridiculous laugh. George goes on and he tells them, not only has God called me to start an orphanage to care for the many children in our area with no home, no food, no clothing, no education, and no future. But God has told me not to ask for a single penny to fund this orphanage. And that he will provide all of the money. But I'm not to ask for a single dollar. After the special meeting was over, several people came up to him and said, George, awesome. We're on board. Many more people came up to him after, after the service. Part of his church. People that he loved. These are some of the things they said. They said, I don't see how it could possibly work. Another person said, if the orphanage fails, it is going to be a huge embarrassment to all of us. A third person says, if you were an Englishman, you would know this type of thing is not possible in England. It's not the way we do things here. And there were many more lies. Many more, many more lies that Satan wanted George Mueller to hear to prevent that work. Thankfully, George did not listen to the lies. When George died 63 years later, God had entrusted him with millions of dollars to care for these five huge orphanage homes. He cared for over 10,000 orphans during his lifetime because he did not believe the lies. He ended up talking to presidents and kings and queens and dignitaries all over the world who wanted to hear his story about how this, this man, who during his teenage years was a swindler and a thief, ended up giving his life to God and cared for over 10,000 orphans and never asked for a single dollar. It's an amazing story. Because he did not believe the lies. Nehemiah did not believe the lies. Friends, you will, without a doubt, when God puts it on your heart to serve him in some capacity, maybe it's to teach kids or students the Bible in a Bible class. Maybe it's to sell your business and, and to do something else to build God's kingdom. Maybe it's to be a missionary or a pastor. Whatever it might be. Maybe it's to start a discipleship ministry. Maybe it's to tell your neighbors about Jesus Christ. 
whatever it is that he puts on your heart in order to build his kingdom so that you can be his servants, expect the lies. They will come 100%. Things like, it'll never work. You aren't smart enough. You don't have the talent. They won't believe you. They're going to laugh at you. You're going to lose your job. You're going to go broke. You're going to be all by yourself. And the lies go on and on and on because Satan is the father of lies. And he does not want God's work being done. And he did it with Nehemiah. And Nehemiah tells us what he did. There in verse 9, you see what he did? It's very simple. But I prayed. Friends, sometimes we make it so complicated. Sometimes we make it so difficult. Nehemiah, when presented with these lies from the enemy, he says, but I prayed. There are verses all throughout the Bible that teach us that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are the source of truth. This morning I want to read you a few of these verses. John 14, 6. I hope it's a verse many of you are familiar with. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Ephesians 4, 21, the truth is in Jesus. Psalm 86, 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. John 1, 17, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. When we go to prayer, when the lies come to us, it tunes us in. It connects us with the source of truth so that we can overcome the lies of the enemy who definitely does not want us serving God and being obedient to him as he builds his kingdom. And we make it hard, don't we? We make it difficult. Nehemiah says, but I prayed. But I prayed. And when you and I presented with the lies of the enemy pray, we will find Jesus victorious over these lies, giving us courage and strength to move on in what he asks us to do. The first hurdle that Nehemiah faced was lies. I'm going to put that up here on our hurdle. Lies. Get ready, friends, because if you are being obedient to what God asks you to do, expect the lies. Let's find out what the second hurdle is. Starting in verse 10. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. 
I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. When Sanballat and Tobiah found out their, their method of lies was not working, they tried another approach. They hired a fellow Jew, someone that Nehemiah knew, who could have been, we don't know for sure, he could have been a priest. And his job was to discredit Nehemiah, to ruin his reputation. So he comes up with this plan. He gets together with Nehemiah. And he says, Nehemiah, I've been informed. Men are coming tonight to kill you. They're coming tonight to kill you. But that's okay because I've got a plan, Nehemiah. What we should do is go into the temple. Let's go to the temple, to the sanctuary, into the temple, close the door behind us, and we'll be safe there. That presented a problem for Nehemiah because Nehemiah understood God forbade anyone who was not a priest to go into that temple. And Nehemiah was not a priest. He could not go into that temple. If he would have gone into that temple, his people that he were leading, they knew it was wrong. They knew it was sinful. If he would have gone into that temple, he would have lost respect in their eyes and his leadership would have ceased to exist. Shemaiah's plan was to ruin his reputation. And he says, Nehemiah, they're coming tonight. They're going to kill you tonight. And Nehemiah says, I will not go. I will not go. But Nehemiah, they're coming tonight. I will not go. Do you hear his resolve? Do you hear his determination? Do you hear his conviction? I will not go. Friends, friends, the Christian church around the world, and especially in 2020 in the United States of America, desperately needs people to stand on godly convictions and when tempted to compromise and to blur the lines between right and wrong and to say, but God, on this occasion, surely you understand. Surely my sin would be acceptable this one time. To say, I will not go. I will not go. Moms and dads at work, when your boss or coworkers say, you know what? Just move the line a little bit. Make the numbers look a little bit better. Get that cell. Make us look good. To say, I will not go. Guys, high schoolers, college students, dating the girl of your dreams. And she wants you to be a little more physical than what you know honors God. To say, I will not go. I will not go. Kids at school, the test is hard, and the test answers are circulating, circulating around the class. I will not go. 
But God, surely this one time, surely this one time it's okay. You understand the situation I'm in. God never turns a blind eye to sin. It is never acceptable. When people were chasing Nehemiah, trying to discredit him and kill him, he could have got, he had an excuse to go into the temple. I will not go. Friends, society has done more than blur the lines between right and wrong in our country. They are completely erased. And now more than ever, the church needs people to stand up and to live by their godly convictions based in the Bible and to say, I will not go. I will not go into that sin. I won't be part of it. But Nehemiah, they're coming tonight. I will not go. But you might lose your job. I will not go. But people might laugh. I will not go. She might break up with me. I will not go. I may lose my money. I will not go. I will not go. Nehemiah says, I will not go. When faced with the temptation to compromise, he says, I will not go. Friends, will you stand up? Will you say, I will not go. I will not go. I will not go into that sin. I will not go. The second hurdle presented to Nehemiah, put in his way by the enemy, was to compromise. Was to compromise. And he, and he overcame it with his conviction. And he says, I will not go. Let's see what the third hurdle was. Nehemiah, chapter 7. We're going to skip over to chapter 7. By now, this point, the walls have been completed. The gates have been put in place. And start reading with me in verse 4. It says, now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. And the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found a genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Ezariah, Remiah, Nehemiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispareth, Bigvi, Nahum, and Bana. The list of the men of Israel, and it goes on, and it lists the men of Israel and how many people came with them. And I'm going to spare you all from a disaster and not read all those names. All right. Uh, but let's skip over to, to verse 66. It says, the whole company numbered 42,360. Besides their 7,337 men servants and maidservants, and they also had 245 men and women singers. Okay, so if you do the quick math, the amount of people that came from Babylon to Judah is just shy of 50,000 people. But the scholars, the Bible scholars who look into all this and figure all this stuff out, they have determined that there were many, many more that stayed in Babylon, like two, three, five times the amount that came, right? 
a lot of people, most of them, stayed in Babylon. Why would they do that? The king of Persia came in. He says, go home. Go home. Go, go worship your God. Go reestablish your country. Go be free. And only 50,000 of them went back to Judah. The rest stayed in Babylon. This is why I believe they did that. Because over 70 years, they became more citizens than slaves. And they looked around. And as they looked at their homes and their jobs and their gardens and their families and their friends, they looked around and thought, oh, you know what? It's not so bad here. It's not so bad here. And at one time, when they were taken as slaves and as they were ushered into Babylon, no doubt they looked at the worship of the foreign gods of the Babylonians, and it was just despicable in their eyes. And 70 years later now, they look at it and say, you know what? I'm kind of used to it. They had become comfortable on foreign soil. They had become comfortable among the worship of foreign gods and under the leadership of a foreign king. Friends, may you and I never, never be comfortable on foreign soil. You know what Philippians 3.20 says? It says our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. You know what that means? This is not our home. This is not our home. But friends, let's be real, okay? Oftentimes, when God comes to us, and he's got a job for us to do, and he wants us to be part of his work and to serve him and be part of his kingdom work, man, the temptation is there, isn't it? The temptation is there to say, God, you know what? I know I'm a citizen of heaven, and this world is not my home, but on this occasion, I'd like to transfer my citizenship because I am comfortable. I'm too comfortable, God. I'm too comfortable. I think I'm going to pass up on this opportunity. Thank you anyway. Someone else can do the job. Now, friends, I wholeheartedly believe God gives us things to enjoy in this lifetime. That, no doubt about it. And I don't feel guilty with the blessings he's given to me. But when I allow the blessings and the comforts that I have to be something that causes me to say no to God's opportunity of serving him, then I got a problem. Then I'm too comfortable. And my citizenship in all reality is no longer in heaven. I become a full-fledged card member of planet earth. There are a lot of people that God calls, wants, asked to go serve him, to be part of him. But they say, you know what, God? I think I'd rather stay in Babylon. I think I'd rather stay in Babylon. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. 
If anyone was enjoying a good life, it was Nehemiah. Living in the palace, friends with the king, influence. He had it. He had it nice, okay? But Nehemiah left the palace to go to the rubble in Jerusalem, where everything was a disaster, and to rebuild those walls. And 50,000 fellow Jews left Babylon. No doubt, many of them had it nice, right? I don't think they were all paupers. I don't think they were all doing terrible. I think over the course of 70 years, some of them might have been doing okay in Babylon. But they left it. And they went to Jerusalem and back to Judah to reestablish God's people. When Nehemiah and his fellow Jews were presented with an opportunity to build his kingdom, they chose to overcome comfort with action. They just left their comfort zone. We can slice and dice it. We can do whatever we want to do. But ultimately, it's us praying to God, saying, God, help me leave my comfort zone. Help me have put, put my feet with my faith. May I take action and leave my comfort zone and trust you. Nehemiah did it. 50,000 of his fellow Jews did it. God is going to ask us to do it. I have yet to read a Bible story. I, I, I don't think it's in there. Where God comes to somebody and says, I've got a job for you to do. And they say, great, God, I'm on board. Because it sounds like this job, I can be very comfortable uh, things are not going to really bother me very much. I, I'm not going to have to make too many adjustments. Everything's going to be just fine. I get to stay in my comfort zone and serve you at the same time. Great, God, sign me up. That sounds great. No, it's not there. You aren't going to find it. You just aren't going to find it in the Bible. Every time when God comes to someone and asks them to be part of his work, to serve him, it requires leaving our comfort zone. Nehemiah did it. He overcame comfort with action. Friends, three hurdles, three big hurdles, hurdles that were in Nehemiah's life. No doubt these were hurdles that each one of us, each one of us are going to face as we seek to be God's servants. I can almost guarantee it. That when God calls you to be a part of something great, something more than yourself, to be part of his work, you're going to hear the lies You're going to be tempted to compromise, and you're going to have to leave your comfort zone. But wow, what a joy it is when we do that. We experience God, God at work through us. People cleansed cleansed from their sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ and empowered through his spirit to build an eternal and to make an eternal difference through his work and his hand in our lives. What more is there to live for? That's it. That's as good as it gets. I mean, that is awesome to think my life can be more than just a paycheck. My life can be more than just a fun weekend. My life can be more than a few simple pleasures. Absolutely. We get to be part of what God is doing in this world for all eternity. And he's at work. He is at work. We may look out there and think God's not at work. Oh, man, I believe he's at work. He's got a plan. And this plan is continuing to go on. It's been going on for 6,000 years. And he allows all of us in this room and those joining us online to be part of it. But no doubt, we will have to overcome the lies with prayer. We'll have to overcome the compromise with conviction. And we're going to have to overcome our comfort 
with action. And when we do, friends, God's going to do something special, and you're going to get to be a part of it. Will you do it? Will you do it? Join with me in prayer, please. God, we love you. We praise you. We want to serve you. But, oh, God, you know, as you look into our hearts, we have struggles and hurdles that we come in, in contact with every day as we seek to serve you and live for you and proclaim your name. God, when the lies of the enemy come, may we not believe them, but may we conquer them through prayer as we go to the source of all truth. And when we're tempted to compromise, Father, may we stand on godly biblical convictions and say, I will not go. I will not go. And Father, when we're tempted to live for our comforts instead of for your kingdom, may we put action in our faith into action and to trust you to trust you to leave our comfort zone father we love you we praise you we 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 are humbled by the fact that you would choose to use us for your glory and for your kingdom god empower us cause us to do that for your glory and your praise in the name of jesus your precious son's name we pray amen